Hi. New York, New York. 10036. Pro country. What you see is what you get. Hell has no fury. He drives the most expensive car because second best never enters his mind. Of all the billions of planets in space, only one is off limits to man. It all began with a curse. The evil you did this day will be avenged. A curse. From the mists of infinity, they come, rising from the cold, damp earth to take what is now theirs. You are in a room filled with your friends, but they are all dead. Night, when the earth is quiet and the good people of the world are sleeping. The night visitor comes to call. The streets have been taken over by thieves, dope addicts, rapists, muggers. We live in fear. One man is doing something about it. These are the sounds of six feet of silver death. Grindhouse Purgatory, 42nd Street, Pete. Welcome to another episode of Grindhouse Purgatory, where 42nd Street Pete brings us back to the past, which might not always have been pretty. Oh, this ain't pretty at all this time. I mean, you know, people talk about the theaters on 42nd Street, and, you know, you have to understand, you know, when I got over there, it was probably 68, 69, and hardcore wasn't really out there to a certain extent then. Um, there was only one Big place, if I remember right, I think it was the Victory that uh, played played what they would consider hardcore. Sometimes it would be, sometimes it wouldn't be. But you really had to walk down past 42nd Street on 8th Avenue where you would walk into uh, pretty much a little twisted netherworld of, you know, theatrical porn grinders. There was uh, the Cameo, the Capri. Um, and there was the Eros 1 and 2. The Eros 1 was a gay theater. 2 would become the Venus because the confusion, you know, started with the Eros 1, and then you didn't know which was which. So that's where all that, that stuff um, was happening down there, interspersed with, you know, adult bookstores, massage parlors, um, photo studios where you could uh, take pictures of a fucking model. They were all, all fronts for... Basically, you know, uh, quickie joints. All right, then l- let me ask you this. How how accurate, and I know this is going into more of the 70s, but how accurate are the depictions of 42nd Street porn theaters in movies such as like Hardcore or Taxi Driver? Is that really what it was like? Because I know a lot of those were shot on 42nd Street, stuff like The Exterminator and all that. Or yeah. were those somewhat played up to make them a little sleazier? Well, the taxi driver one, they shot it at, at the Lyric. That's where I got stabbed in front of the place. Uh, that one, I told, I told that story a bunch of times, but yeah, that, that was taxi driver was basically filmed on 42nd street and the place that, um, okay. You know, when he, when he took Sybil Shepherd in, that was the Lyric theater. And at that time they had switched over, they had switched over to porn because basically when you hit that, that era in time, mid seventies, a lot of these theaters, you know, that's where the fucking money was. So they were all switching over to porn. And then, and the other place was, um, when they had, basically you saw a glimpse of it. It was called Variety Photo Place. 
It was down where her apartment was. I don't know if you remember that part. Well, okay, what about something like Hardcore or the intro to The Howling? Because, you know, those, th- those that kind of 42nd those, Street is very dirty, very dangerous. Was that, that, wasn't for, that wasn't 42nd Street. That was uh, Los Angeles. Right, but I'm just saying that type of depiction is what I mean. Um. Certain parts were, certain parts weren't. You see, you gotta, you gotta understand the whole, whole demographic there. You know, 42nd Street was bumper to bumper theaters, but when you spread down on 8th, that's where all the real sleazy joints were, the, you know, the, the, the motels you rent by the room by the hour, that type of shit. And, you know, they had a bunch of like really weird, twisted fucking shit that played down there before Deep Throat. Like, and a lot of it was soft, like, um, all right, well, for example, there was things, you ever hear a sleazy rider? That one, sounds familiar. That one's, I don't know if I've seen it, but I've heard of it, I think. Yeah, it's a biker fuck film where basically, uh, the, the sheriff, you know, pulls over the bikers, fucks with their women, become, you know, becomes a scumbag, and then they basically turn the tables on him, go to his house, they do his wife, do his daughter, leave him tied up, and then there's, you know, this whole moral ending where, oh, the, all, all members of uh, this biker gang were uh, arrested and are doing 15 years to life or some shit like that. So they had that one, and then there was a, a co-feature, and, um, of course, you know, when I when I see most of this shit, I was probably drinking heavily. And there was a the co-feature was something called Night of the Animals, which was basically this black guy who was behind bars for killing his, this husband who caught him, fucking her, his fat blonde wife. And then he escapes with this long-haired white guy, and one of them has a gun, one of them has an axe, and they're running through a field like, remember the Defiant Ones with Tony Curtis and Sidney Poitier? Where, where they're like uh, handcuffed together? Yeah, they're running like that, but they're not handcuffed together. So they, they hit a gas station, uh, this chick gets her skull split open in a real nasty, nasty scene, and then uh, the black dude shoots the gas station attendant, and they rob a liquor store, they kill the clerk. And I'm sitting, I'm, you know, I'm fucked up, and I'm watching this going, what the fuck movie is this? Is this a porn movie or something? So they do a home invasion, they shoot a guy, they tie up to these two women in this old man in chairs, and then they make the chick that's with them cook them, cook them food. And these guys are, you really get the impression through this whole thing that these guys are a lot closer than cellmates. So then it gets even more fucked up that they raid the liquor cabinet and they're gulping down like Crown Royal and Pinch, which is, you know, <laughs> real good fucking budget for a picture like this. Then they raid the medicine cabinet and they start taking all the fucking reds and second oils and all that other shit. Then all of a sudden it changes the one great big fucking orgy. And, and the, the strange part of the whole thing was that both movies were softcore and that just made them even harder to fucking watch. Well, okay, so. then what about when the porno chic era came in? How did places like the Venus and all that handle when it was cool to go see Behind the Green Door or Deep Throat or something like that, when the whole porno chic era came in, which I guess we should explain a little bit. The porno chic thing was when it became cool for, what, about a year and a half that hardcore porn films were great for middle America, where they were no longer dirty for a while. Yeah, that was the whole in the Lovelace stuff, and that also pretty much just applied to the ones that were when they started shooting them in 35, you know, because... 
the Venus didn't play shit like that. The Venus basically played, you know, the uh, anywhere from 45 to 68 minute stuff. And of course, you know, don't, don't forget these prints were like bounced around the area so much that there was like breaks and scenes missing and, you know, they were trimmed down for time or, you know, you know, remember how they used to jam up and catch fire and shit and burn like a foot of film, that type of crap. So these things are like mutated to, to a point, but they were always thrown in like, some kind of a rotation, like they would get um, like a new release and then they would back it up with two things that had already made the rounds, but hadn't made the rounds lately, if you get what I'm saying. So it was like, especially the Venus, because the Venus opened at 10 in the morning and closed at 7 in the morning. So there was, you know, just enough time to sweep out all the junk. So w what were the audiences like? Say, say an audience for a hardcore flick versus an audience that's going to see a cannibal flick or a death wish knockoff. Were there a lot of crossover or would you say you're dealing with two totally different audiences, two totally different clientels? Two different totally different clientels because when you went to see a porn porn film your seating was on avoidance. I mean, you didn't want to just sit next to some stranger who may or may not start whacking his wiener, you know? So pretty much most of those those places people sat off by themselves and you'd always get these low rent hookers that would work the theater until they were kicked out like they would blow you for five bucks or something like that. So I, I never went for that. I, I chased them the fuck away because who the fuck knew. But there was you know it was all kinds of, you know the the Venus the first thing I saw at the Venus was something called you would have loved this place. I'm, I'm going to change gears for a second here. In close proximity to the Venus, which is the Eros 2 then, was this big store called Beeline Books. And this place had piles and piles of stills and lobby cards just that you, you could just sift through. Plus comic books, monster mags, wrestling magazines, all this great shit. So you could basically go in there and spend the day and come out with a fucking, you know, garbage bag full for like 20 bucks 70s money. Which was great stuff. So... The other thing, too, was at that time, point in time, you didn't want to go in a subway, especially if you're a white guy with a bunch of shopping bags, because you were a fucking target for mugging. So one of those nights, or days rather, I walked out, and the skies are going to open up, so I figured, all right, I'll duck in the Venus. Um, there's this movie playing called San Francisco Ball. Must be a hippie porn movie. How bad can it be? Oh, yeah, it was bad. Uh, abduction, rape, torture... Chicks getting cut up with switchblades, all softcore, made even weirder because these like chicks were laying on the floor moaning with fake blood on them, and these guys were standing around with no pants on and flaccid cocks hanging down with blood splattered all over their fucking legs and shit. So yeah, it was it was a, a true turn on. So what about what about something like like some of those late seventies, early eighties porns that were almost specifically made to be unerotic? Like how did something like like Harry Reams and Forced Entry play because that's a hard movie to yeah, watch that, not that, not in a good way. I know that was an anomaly because it really didn't go over and I'm going to quote somebody um uh, Bill Landis um gave me this quote he, he retracted it I think I told that story once but uh pretty much he said when he worked the area that the Vietnam vets that were doing live sex shows would turn their back when that damn film played and 
it was hard to get that film booked, and it also fucked up Harry Reams' career for a couple of years because all, all he was getting offers is to play these these psycho-driven characters, and he didn't want to go that route. So, yeah, that was that was completely unerotic, and there was there was another one, um, Revenge on a Motorcycle Mama, uh, where basically somebody some chick squeals on her old man, and now he's in jail, and they drag this chick in, and she's screaming she didn't squeal, and. One, but one guy just walks up and kicks her in the cunt, like basically punts her in the cunt. Then they strip her, they torture her with a Zippo lighter, basically like almost inner pussy. And the weird thing is the gang is all white guys and three of the mamas are black. And there's all kinds of just fucked up shit going on. She's getting pummeled and, you know, whipped and all kinds of other shit. And then it winds up she didn't squeal. And then, uh, what the hell was it? Um, there's a turnaround, and they, they turn on the, the one guy. It's like, it's completely fucked up. There was a bunch of them. They, they okay. were just weird, weird, twisted, rough fucking movies. Okay, then how about going the other way to intentionally unerotic? The artistic film, like a Steven Sadian kind of thing, like Cafe Flesh, which, I mean, Steven's very open. He made the – it's a hardcore that he made to be as intentionally unerotic as possible. He was almost daring you to jerk off to a movie like Cafe Flesh. How would something like that have played? Because personally, something like Cafe Flesh and Night Dreams, I think they're beautiful art films, and I say that with no pretension. But they're hardcores, too. Uh, you know, I, I'm not even, I couldn't even tell you if they honestly played the area, because I wasn't really into going when they came out. 1980, 81? Yeah, I was pretty much done with it. I was like, uh, that's when I started getting into selling the shit. So I was pretty much, you know, it, it got to the point after you spend like, you know, a decade and a half watching this shit, it's sort of like watching paint dry after a while. So okay, th 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 then ask the more, let me ask the more esoteric question. You've seen those movies. How would they have played? Oh, to a certain extent to, you know, the artsy-fartsy crowd, yeah, because don't forget there was upscale porn theaters in New York, the Pussycat on, on Broadway, you know, places like that. that. That's where they, you know, they premiered um, Insatiable, red carpet treatment the whole bit. So there there was upscale, like, places on Broadway, you know, that, that showed porn that couples could go to. So... You know, that's where they would play, and that, that's what they drew. You know, don't forget, we're we're on the low end of the spectrum where I'm at, I'm at because, you know, it was a buck and a half to get in there during the day and three bucks at night. That's why they called the Venus the Hobo Hilton. Because if you, you know, you needed a place to fucking crash until seven o'clock in the fucking morning, that's, that's where you went. You know, slip with one eye open. But, you know, that, that's what a lot of, there was only one place Actually, there was open 24-7, and that was the harem on 42nd Street. And that was one that was upstairs. They showed four movies continuously. And uh, to quote Al Goldstein from Screw, it was a bunch of winos, trannies, weirdos, and degenerates all festering in their own filth and germs. So, right, Well, now, you, you've mentioned before how some of these places were crime-ridden, and you even implied here, you know, you got to sleep with one eye open. Yeah. What what was more crime? What was a bigger crime target? The porno crowd or the grindhouse crowd? Uh, depending on what theater. See, the Enco was was a really bad place. You get robbed in there. Um, if you were nodding out, they would slice your pockets with with razor blades till the money came out. That type of shit. Um, in 
the porn joints, what they would do is they go into into the men's room and unscrew the light bulb and then, you know, hide in one of the stalls if you came in to take a piss and they'd sneak up on you and shit. So some places were better patrolled than others. It was just, you know, buyer beware because you, you went into these, one of these shitholes for, you know, three bucks to get in to see three movies. You know, it's going to be a shithole. Do you think them being shitholes is what contributed to the death of 42nd Street? Because 42nd Street really, you know, what the, the air, you know, what we're talking about ended around 1989, I think it was, because James Glickenhaus said his movie Shakedown, also known as Blue Jean Cop, was the last movie shot on 42nd Street pre-gentrification. And, and then, then, you know, all of a sudden everyone started buying up all this property and making it all nice. Do you think that would have happened regardless? Or was it just such a festering hellhole that eventually the law was going to just come in and do something? Well, according to Terry Levine, who, you know, ran Aquarius Pictures, he says the whole thing boiled down to money. That for the square foot of, of real estate there, they weren't even bringing in close to the taxes they should have been because nobody was paying taxes. You know, if you shut one of these stores down, three days later would open up the same store but under a, quote, different owner. So it, it was all Wild West. I mean, you know, no, nobody, if they were charging sales tax, nobody was turning it the fuck in. Um, you know, when you, when you go to a movie theater, when you look on your ticket, it doesn't it say what the tax is on the ticket sometimes? Or it used to. That it was just the time that with VHS coming in, it was just inevitable that 42nd Street was going to go away since their big thing was kind of walk-in traffic. But now you had order by mail and you had, you had the mom and pop video stores renting the big box porns and stuff like that. Do you think VHS played a factor in this? Oh yeah, without a doubt. Oh, VHS killed, killed the whole thing because don't, don't forget you had crack and AIDS at the same time that all, all came about. So, you know, as, as nuts as certain shit was drug related there, crack made it infinitely worse because you never knew what these fucking assholes would do. So it was scary going to the movies there. And you know, if you could get the same damn movies on VHS, what the fuck? That, that's, that's what happened. That, that killed it pretty much. And you know, off in the privacy of your own home. Yeah. And pretty, pretty much it, you know, the buildings were falling down. If you look at some of the, the later photos, I mean, you know, these, these owners and operators, they, they weren't keeping these fucking places up. You know, formerly opulent theaters were just falling into disrepair. I mean, some were in great shape when I was still going in the 70s. But once you got toward the end of the 80s, I mean, they were just falling apart. Springs popping out of seats. You know, nobody gave a fuck. There was one, um, shit, it might have been the Liberty if you looked up, you could see daylight because it was holes in the fucking roof. Okay, how, you mentioned AIDS. That obviously is a factor. How big of a factor did that work into the, the sex trade down there? Because I would think that would, that would have probably had a significant drop off once AIDS became, I, a commonplace is the wrong word, but you know, more commonplace and you were encountering more and more people that who potentially had it. Hookers is what I'm talking about. Well, I wasn't doing that in the 80s because I was fucking married. So I don't, I don't know whether it did or it didn't. I had friends that were still doing it. Basically, uh, the chicks that, you know, the chicks were, if you don't, weren't going to use a rubber, they weren't doing shit. That was basically it. You, you couldn't, you know, they wouldn't even blow you without a rubber. So, uh. Well, the porno industry even, 
even jumped on that. Remember behind the green door too, in 1984 proudly declares it's the first safe sex movie where every sex scene is about a rubber. And it was just like that, you know, you have to tell people what a different time that was. Cause that was kind of bold for the Mitchells to do that in 84. It didn't work cause that movie bombed, but the idea that they were saying we really need to get safe here was kind of a good idea. It was, and Sika got a lot of shit for that, and that's that's part of the reason she got out of it, because the, the last thing she did, you know, she, she insisted on using a condom, then word spread that she was difficult to work with, but, you know, most of the people that I've come in contact with from the era that were performers said they were scared shitless. They wanted to, you know, after the whole deal with Holmes not telling anybody, and a couple of other people not telling anybody, it was like, no, this is this is a matter of life and death. That's why Sharon Mitchell started that clinic out in California, because it was fucking serious shit. And then, it, you know, it was a whole thing. Somebody came down from Canada with a phony, phony fucking test results or something, and she had it, and she infected a bunch of fucking people. So, yeah, it was it was a scary thing. And, you know, you know, the whole thing with... with Old 70s porn was, it was gritty. I mean, you could almost smell the dirty pussy, I used to tell people. Because, you know, these chicks weren't shaven. You know, half, half the time they weren't clean, they were hippie chicks. And, you know, they just, it was just, you know, rough, hardcore, nasty, fucking smelly sex. It, you know, it cleaned up after Deep Throat when they started throwing money into this shit. But, you know, usually it was like, they ran a motel room, you know, it was in, in New York or something like that. They had plenty of shit they could go out shooting on the streets, because one of the funny stories was Jamie Gillis was doing something outside, and the uh, cop walked up to him, and he goes, what's going on? He goes, oh, it's the student film, and the cop looked at him, and he goes, yeah, right, and walked away. So, yeah, you, you could do it there, but you use exteriors in the same in California. But, you know, until they started pumping money into this shit, usually it was shot in somebody's house, fucking hotel room, or, you know, somewhere higher end, somewhere lower end. But... Even Sharon said, you know, it was all run by the mob, and the mob treated them good. And that was it. You know, they, they, they were they were making money for these guys. Uh, one, one of the guys, um, he just passed away. Uh, Show World's gone now in New York. He, he was the guy who created Show World, Richie Brasiano, 92 years old, just passed away last week. Well, and so he, well, would you say the cleaning up of 42nd Street was sort of an amalgamation of factors? Because... While you were had AIDS and stuff like and crack and that, AIDS also caused the porno industry to change. So therefore, let's leave VHS out right now. The movies themselves changed. I don't think the movies that were being made in the eighties would have attracted the same kind of audiences like you were just alluding to as the seventies kind of movies. They were slicker. They were more produced. I mean, this is not counting the shot on videotape stuff, but no. But then, then, then you also have to realize in, in, in the eighties you had the Avon stuff. And the Avon stuff was a whole different animal. The Avon stuff was basically pushing the fucking envelope to the point where, holy shit, is this borderline illegal or not? And they, they those these Avon films were the films that the Mies commissioned brought up as the big prime example of violent and vicious mob-controlled pornography. They were just tailored to a certain audience in New York by certain people because it worked. And they were well, nasty. And then, yeah. And, well, and, and then you had one other factor that factored into this. That fucking cascading thunder cunt, Tracy Lords, 
and all of the massive negative press that they brought to everything. Oh yeah, that was, that, 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 that was, that I was. mean, she, she, she almost single-handedly torpedoed that industry by her cold, callous, and calculated cuntness. Oh yeah, yeah. I know, she took a lot of people fucking down. I, I think, uh. Bill Margold, uh, Bill Margold almost went down because Bill Margold told me, this is before she had ever made a movie, when she first came to Hollywood, he he was one of the few people that saw her. Remember, he used to run that agency. Yeah. And he said he never trusted her. There was just something about her that was off right from the get-go, and he just couldn't put his finger on it, no pun intended. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. She took down the guy, uh, I think it was Rush Hampshire from VCA. He had a problem. She, she took down a lot of good fucking people. I mean, granted, there's a bunch of scumbags in the porn industry, you know, then and now, I would assume, but... There was a lot of good fucking people in there too, and she she basically took down a lot of the better people. She gave a black eye to that entire industry for a good ten, fifteen years, maybe. And then the fact that she got wide wide stream acclaim always pisses me off because I, I I will not respect any director that works with her. I lost respect for John Waters. I lost respect for Kevin Smith. Any director that willingly works with her and claims that they love porn proves that they do not love that industry if they're willing to work with her. No, and she still she she still does conventions and she's a complete fucking cunt at conventions too, but hey, she wasn't she wasn't part of forty second street. Uh that she came in way, way after the fact. Right. I I'm just saying that what I'm trying to point out to the audience is how everything changed in a relatively small amount of time. Yeah, well, you gotta look at it this way. Peeps Basically, the peep shows, the 8mm stuff, was the great-great-grandfather of what's going on today. That's what started it all. And, it was you know, the, the, porn hub, the porn hub of today? Yeah. Well, you know, peep shows, 8mm loops. That's what started the whole thing. That's that's basically what, what's going on today with downloads and the DVDs and Blu-rays. Is, is is That's the grandfather, the 8mm loop. That's where it started. That's where you got, that's where you could actually see people fuck. And it goes back to the fucking thirties. Maybe the twenties for all I know. But up until, you know, man has been obsessed with watching other people fuck since the dawn of time. There's cave, cave fucking drawings of it. So why not make a buck off it if you can't? That's what these guys were doing. And there's a bunch of, the, you know, when, when the, when the, when the film camera was first invented by Thomas Edison, Everyone credits that, that Frankenstein film, that 10 minute Frankenstein film he made as the first. It wasn't. The very first thing he did was shoot naked women. Yeah, because why not? that's, that's what, that's what we do, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, that, that's the way it went. And, you know, every, everybody was, people were smart. People capitalized on this shit. You know, and it, it was, you know, there's probably shady shit going on. I mean, it, it was, there was a bunch of crap going on. But then, you know, you had like, you know, when, when Screw, Screw Newspaper came into being and Screw became the guide to all this shit. And they would tell you if something sucked. They made no bones about it. You know, Goldstein would, if something sucked, you knew about it. And if you fucked him, you knew about it too. That was you another know what? thing. I've, I've read some of those old Screw magazines from the 70s and 80s. Actually, I think I have, might have some from the late 60s, like 69 maybe. Yeah. Those are some brutal shit, man. Yeah, he took no fucking prisoners, and he, and he got away. I mean, he went to jail a bunch of times. But the whole thing was he was making millions of fucking dollars on the phone sex thing. 
That's where he made a shitload of money and he wasn't afraid to spend it because you know, pretty much everything he did outside of screw crashed and burned. Like he, he had, he had another, uh, he had a mob newspaper that crashed and burned. I think that might have caused some fucking friction with certain people. Then he had a cigar aficionado one that crashed and burned. Then he had one called death and that crashed and burned. And then he tried, he made, um, he had a movie theater too. He opened the, uh, Al Goldstein Cinema. I think hey, it was on Pete. Yeah. P- Pussy will never go out of style. I know it never does. It never does. But we got to end this show. So tell people a little bit about the Grindhouse Purgatory magazine and where they can contact you. Uh, you can, th- actually, there was a Grindhouse Purgatory group I started on Facebook. You can try to get get on um, get to me on that. Ask to be let in. I'm letting everybody in as long as they're civil and don't piss me off. And the magazine, we're up to issue number nine. It's all women in Grindhouse, so you can get that on Amazon.com. Or if you want to get it from me directly, contact me on Facebook. I still have some here. And we're working on number ten, so it's all good. And then there's 40 Deuce at uh, Gmail? 40 Deuce at Hotmail. 40 Deuce at Hotmail. Yeah, if, if, if you ever, if you're ever, still living in the 1990s. If you ever get it, you know what the fuck. Uh, Hotmail's a pain in my fucking ass. I, I should just get out of that altogether, but a lot of people just re- remember the address, so they keep sending shit there, so. This has been a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.